0: Let's get started. Good day to you, and welcome to Film Pleasance Movie Podcast, where American Bradley and British Daniel revolutionize film. Join us as we tackle a new double feature each show. This week's theme being a spooky, scary, horror-ish theme.
1: (laughs) Yeah, movies for the Halloween
0: period. Yeah, movies for Halloween, because we put off the third episode uh, about a whole month at this point. Pretty much.
1: Life gets in the way, you know.
0: But uh, for good reason, for, for good reason. Yeah, we both started uh, the semester at school and the time difference can also make things a little, a little dodgy. <laughs> a little dodgy, would you say, Daniel? Yeah,
1: I would say that, yeah. You know, it's a good five hours between us, so.
0: Yeah, it can be tricky, it can be tricky. But uh, I actually wanted to start off um, with the latest, uh, you know, everybody's talking about Killers of the Flower Moon. So I wanted to ask you, have you seen it yet, Dan?
1: Well, well, Bradley, I saw Colours of the Far Moon at the London Film Festival at about uh, 8 o'clock in the morning, bright and fresh. Oh, Jesus. Just had a nice little coffee, settled down in for a nice three-and-a-half-hour Western epic from the master Scorsese. Um, I've got a bit of a weird, weird experience with this one because, well, because of the circumstances in some ways. But also because I'm not, weirdly, not familiar with a lot of Scorsese's films. Um, I've seen a few, like a handful, um, but I wouldn't say I'm like a big super fan or anything. Um, But yeah, I got into this screening at the London Film Festival. And then three and a half hours later, I was like, wow, this was incredible.
0: Okay, great. I had no idea you saw it in London. That was cool. Was that what was that like two weeks before it got the theatrical release or something like that? About two two weeks, about a week and
1: a half. It wasn't much much shorter because I think it got a premiere at like um, Venice or Cannes or something like that. Yeah. Um,
0: Yeah, one of those. Maybe maybe Toronto was it in Toronto? I don't know. Yeah, that was that was a fun experience. All right, cool. Have you have you seen it? All right, cool. So you thought it was incredible. Yes, I went to the theater on Saturday and saw it. Um, I didn't like it as much as you did, but I, of course, I liked it. (laughs) And I, um, I'm echoing your thoughts here in that I I believe this was my first Scorsese movie. I don't think I've seen any other one.
1: Wait, that, okay, well, you're not echoing my thoughts then. Your first ever.
0: I I think so. I've never seen Goodfellas. Oh, oh, wait, did he do Wolf of Wall Street? Yeah, yeah okay okay never mind never mind my second i've seen wolf of wall street but i think that's the only one wow because honestly like what it comes down to is when i'm when i'm watching a movie at home if the runtime's too long i most time i just won't turn it on Mm, you know yeah and i miss them in the theaters so yeah this kind of stuff it's just passing me by i know everybody tells me i gotta watch it but just it's really hard to just sit down and watch a three-hour movie you know
1: yeah, he's not. He's not a particularly short and snappy filmmaker. Um, no. Having said that, though, in terms of the the battle of the three hour plus runtimes, I think *Killers of the Flower Moon* way beats *Oppenheimer*. So.
0: Oh really? High. Yeah. Okay, I could see that. I could see that. Yeah, I enjoyed *Killers of the Flower Moon*. I mean, Lily Gladstone was incredible. I thought Leo did a good job. Um, of course, Robert De Niro. I mean, who can say anything bad about Robert De Niro? But yeah, I enjoyed it. It's just, it, in the theater, there was at one point when we were about two hours in and I'm like, oh boy, like I'm still in for another hour and a half. And that's not to say I didn't enjoy it, but it, you know, it just gets to a point sometimes I'm like, all right, I've been sitting in this dark room for a couple hours, I still got a couple more to go. It, it's a little bit daunting, you know?
1: Yeah, no, I feel that. I mean also the way it's paced, it's like there's not too many crazy ups and downs. It's just like a very, very gradual incline.
0: Oh yeah.
1: Um So it it doesn't exactly like hand hold your way through the three and a half hours. It wants you to really sit there and observe.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And that combined with how historically accurate it was it tried to be. I mean, no one can really know how historically accurate it was because I believe a lot of this wasn't even really written down or, or taken note of. But, um, but yeah, those those two things combined kind of made for just seeing this, this story unfold. It, it was pretty incredible.
1: Yeah, how? Right, what a, you seen anything else recently, or has that being kind
0: of let's your main? That was actually my first venture into the movies in a while. I think in about a month, month and a half. Cause it's expensive over here. It's about, I paid like, I saw it on IMAX. I paid $21 US dollars, which is like, um, it's like paying like 21 euro for it essentially. Wow. Wow. I know. I know. Insane.
1: Well, I pay. So I saw, obviously I saw Curls of Moon at a festival, kind of a separate thing altogether. But, um, Mm -hmm. there's a local independent cinema in Manchester, um, Shout out to Home Cinema. It's called Home. Um, and they do like a subscription deal. You pay £18 a month and you can see as many films as you want all month. Oh my God. So you're probably not far off the, t- the price of that one Killers of Flower Moon ticket. I can go and see as much as I want at the local independent theatre um, slash art house. It doesn't play like all the blockbusters, but it will play something like Killers of Flower Moon. Um it's not all Great. T- too niche. Um, it has a good balance of stuff. So I, I got to see quite a lot of stuff um, the first few weeks I was here before I realized just how much work uni was going to be.
0: <laughs> no, that's amazing. I- I'm honestly super jealous of that. Like around me, it's kind of just the big corporate theaters, um, which I mean, aren- aren't bad. No hate against the MC or Regal, but I don't know. I kind of do miss our our little theater over in Valladolid that we would just walk to on Monday nights. Yeah, you know, pay six six zero. Sydney Broadway, man. Yeah, that's true. I got I got Broadway, but um, that I should definitely get on. That, that I should definitely get on. Uh, so, what else did you see in London? We haven't talked about this yet, so I'm really I'm really interested.
1: Um. Well, in terms of the big ones, I saw Maestro, the Bradley Cooper, um, Leonard Bernstein. um, Cool. Like a biopic type film. Um, I think that comes to Netflix in like December time. Um, That was actually surprisingly quite good. Um, It was getting quite a lot of negative press. um, I think largely around the images and like the supposed like Jew face in the film. I don't know if you saw about any of this.
0: No, I haven't heard anything about that. And um,
1: basically, just to like quickly summarize, before we get off on a big tangent, um, <laughs> there was like images that were released, and he had a prosthetic nose um, to play Leonard Bernstein, who is Jewish, and this was like seen as characterizing a Jewish kind of stereotype, whatever. Okay. But then the Bernstein family came out and was just like. Well, what are you going to do? We well, totally approve. Then it just kind of looked like that. Um, and I think that kind of got quashed a bit because actually the film is pretty good. Um, and it kind of splits his life in two, tells a lot of the stories focused on his relationship with his wife, um, some really great scenes. I think it comes on Netflix eventually, but it's definitely one to watch in the cinema because it plays with like aspect ratio and. Um, kind of has a really big cinematic sound so yeah that was pretty good
0: that's cool to hear yeah i heard a little bit about maestro i didn't know there was any controversy over it but i'll definitely give it a watch is it getting a theatrical release
1: i think it's going to do one of those netflix limited release type things um but yeah other than that kind of big movies i saw i've watched um all of us strangers the new paul Mescal andrew scott film which is really good quite indie but um you know it's paul mascal got a little bit of that i do love him and then what else did i see which was kind of big i saw quite a lot of like small british films um missed out on some of the kind of bigger things um just because of like the weekend hours at the festival didn't have like everything that i wanted to see i saw may december which is the new todd haynes film um that comes out pretty soon on is it netflix again i think netflix just owns everything these days um yeah (laughs) but yeah that was really good surprisingly like weird subject matter if you look it up but executed really interestingly um but yeah no it was a fun time nice little foray into um film festivals so yeah
0: yeah, that's great. Dude, I just gave all of us strangers a Google. I had no idea how I didn't hear about this. I love Paul Mescal, so I'll give it a watch. It doesn't come out here until late December, so I, I have a little bit. Yeah, also,
1: not a film, but pretty amazing experience. Got to see a live screen talk in conversation between Edgar Wright and Martin Scorsese. Really?
0: Like you saw both of them in the flesh. That's insane, Dan.
1: Yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah, it, it only cost me five pounds as well. So,
0: Oh, my God. So did you pull, um, did you use like your um, Manchester uh, University newspaper, like press card this time to get access into anything?
1: Pretty much. Yeah, I was kind of blagging my way into things based off that. Yeah.
0: Okay, great. That, that's amazing. Cool. Did you take a picture of them?
1: I got a photo. I, I can send you it over. Okay. Not okay. with me in it, but, you know.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I figure you didn't walk up to the stage and ask them. <laughs> All right, great. All right, what do you say we get into the movies then?
1: Yeah, it's it's spooky season. So before we pick some uh, horror-related films, um mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That the film that I picked, I thought was going to be a little bit more horror than it actually turned out being, but um, but Brad's coming in strong with with a strong horror pick. So why why don't you start us off? What what did you pick for this month, Brad?
0: <laughs> of course, um, so I picked Scream. Um, it's just incredible. Like I don't even have to say anything. It's it it's just one of the best slasher movies of all time. It's crazy, just how funny and and creepy and cool and and. I think genuinely scary a lot of this movie is. Um, I know some people disagree with me on the scare factor, but I do find myself really creeped out watching this movie. Um, So I was super excited to talk about it. I always love talking about Scream. And what did you pick, Mr. Dan?
1: I was going to say, before we get into that, can I ask how many times have you seen Scream?
0: I think only three times. Three times. Yeah, not... Yeah. yeah.
1: It's my second time. Okay. Okay. So... So yeah, then I, I picked, um, is it from 2007,
0: mm-hmm. maybe? Yeah,
1: that's it. A film called Time Crimes, or Crono Crimes, um in Spanish. Um, I just heard good things, like it, it's kind of got a cult following um, in the kind of horror space. Um, quite low budget, um, Spanish sci-fi horror film. Um, quite a simple premise. And I'd been recommended it a few times, and I thought, great excuse to kind of throw it in the mix. So I hadn't seen it before. So,
0: yeah. Absolutely. I-, I actually didn't know you didn't see it. I thought you were a big fan of this when you uh, mentioned it to me. So that that's cool. I didn't know you went in blind, too.
1: Yeah. So, um, yeah, a bit of a blind one for both of us on that one. So Yeah,
0: yeah I kind of want to start with um, Time Crimes, if that's cool.
1: Yeah, I mean... Brad, why, why didn't you summarize the plot for this
0: one? Dan, I hate you for, for saying that because now I can't, I can't turn it back on you. It would be bad podcasting. No, sure. So it's actually, I mean, on paper, it's not that complicated. If you try to write out the details, it gets complicated. But the plot is as follows. And keep in mind, also, a couple of my friends have told me after listening to the first couple episodes, they were like, you spoiled all the movies. And I'm like, oh, okay, I should give a spoiler warning
1: well of course we spoil the films this is like (laughs) this is like welcome to our to our conversation post-screening as if you'd seen the films with us you know
0: yeah yeah
1: i mean it is an introduction to these films and i think you could get a lot out of these films after having heard the conversation but also you know watch the films why not (laughs) exactly and then come back and hear what we have to
0: think yeah watch the dang movie says dan exactly no, but okay, here's the plot. So, um, a man and a woman, they're married. They live in, a, I believe it's Cantabria, but they never touch on it. I just saw Cantabria at the beginning, so. And I was like, oh, it's Spanish. I didn't know this was a Spanish movie. But um, yeah, it I could have been from anywhere in South America or Central America for all I knew. But anyways, a man and a woman who are married, they move into a new house, um, and then um, it's It doesn't, this movie does not take place over a long period of time. It's about, it's a day, essentially, the movie is a day. Um, But anyway, so, yeah, they're just hanging out in the backyard, um, sitting on some lawn chairs, and um, the man who's our main character, um, Hector, he is using binoculars to look into the woods. He's just hanging out, like, seeing if he could spot any birds, you know, whatever, what have you, just hanging out. And he spots, I realize this plot is a little bit more intricate than I thought, than I first said, but anyways. He sees um, two things in the forest that kind of throw him off. He sees a naked woman and he sees a man with pink bandages wrapped around his face and he's thrown off and he's like, what the heck? Um, so he goes to sort of check in that area of the woods and he gets sort of caught up in this web of, of time traveling and, and just sort of this. Basically, the whole movie takes place in this like two hour span because the man is so finding a time machine. Dan, I'm doing a terrible job summarizing this movie.
1: This, this movie. is yeah. So I'll t- I, I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to inject here. Basically, this is a time loop film, and as Brad says, man sees woman in the woods and goes to investigate. Um, when he arrives in the woods, he's suddenly attacked by this man wrapped in bandages, very confused. Whilst on the run from this man, he arrives at this kind of strange um, laboratory, which happens to be a few houses away from him, which just kind of pops up out of nowhere. Why does this place exist? And then he gets talking on a walkie-talkie with this guy who works at the lab or kind of lives there. We don't really know. And but basically um, strikes up a kind of weird relationship with this guy. And eventually gets lured, this isn't a spoiler, he gets lured into a time machine. Um, And basically the film is about how this guy then goes back on himself and repeats this small little insular loop to try and figure out what is actually going on and to kind of get to the bottom of it.
0: Yeah, and I will start out our little conversation. I liked it. And I'm I'm leaving a a bit um, uncertain because I think the first like half hour got me really wrapped up in the story. I'm like, all right, I'm in this. And then I feel like the movie kind of gives away most of its secrets about halfway in. And then once you know sort of what's going on, which, to be honest, was pretty predictable, which is weird for me. I'm normally pretty bad at predicting movies. But this one, I think within the first 10 minutes, you, you this sort of mystery of this bandaged man pops up and... You're kind of wondering who it is, and you could definitely guess pretty quick that it's just the main character. Um, and then, you know, that gets confirmed later. And then it's kind of just seeing him go back through this timeline, adjusting things exactly as how they were the first time he went. Because he's trying to remember, you know, what happened with this girl the first time. And so he tries to place everything exactly as it had been the first time. It's like that kind of thing where he's, he's very careful. He wants the timeline to be exactly the same. But so with that being said, how, how do you feel about this one, Dan?
1: Yeah, I did think it was a little bit predictable. You can kind of see it in the year of two thousand and seven. I could see how this might be slightly avant-garde, maybe, maybe not. Maybe not avant-garde is probably the wrong word. Slightly um, innovative. Yeah, good point. But in but now in sixteen years later, we've seen umpteen time loop films, um, and it's kind of fairly obvious where the film is going, and because the actual plot is so limited to such a short kind of sequence of maybe three main events, the actual events themselves aren't that interesting. So it's really relying on the, on the acting and the acting is great from the main actor, um, Cara Elahalde. Um, I think he's pretty good in it and he's quite a prominent, um, prolific Spanish actor. I don't know if you know him. Um, He's he's really good in it, but yeah, I. The more I think about it, I like it more, but as it finished, I was a little bit unsatisfied.
0: Oh, a hundred, a hundred percent, yeah. Um, I couldn't have said it better myself. It, it's it's the kind of thing where it really there's there's a twist towards the end that kind of is pretty cool, but yeah, but like about halfway through the movie, you're right, you kind of just see this this time period like three times by the end of it and then it just kind of ends and i don't know it didn't leave me with enough questions i think to really stick with me but you're right the the actors did a great job i think um i don't think i've heard of that actor before um
1: he's in um this is something that which like sometimes comes up in like spanish class in the uk um ocho apelidos um, catalanes the ocho apelidos vascos oh. which were like big comedy hits at the spanish box, box office Um, he's in that plays kind of quite a comedy role he's just in a lot of stuff and um fun fact when we were in Valladolid, um, at the film festival i got to see an interview with him in person
0: oh that's amazing i didn't know that
1: so, yeah, um but no he's good in it. Um Yeah, I don't I don't know what to say about this one. It's kind of like it's not really that scary. Um I quite like the sci-fi stuff, it's kind of like um like quite like um gritty, independent, uh, a bit like something like Primer. I don't know if you've seen the film Primer, but it's quite like that.
0: Yeah, I was reading Reddit forums on this movie, and everybody was talking about Primer. <laughs> I've never seen it, never heard of it, but um, <laughs> no, yeah, that that's true. Yeah, the sci-fi elements were honestly pretty. They were like not almost novel to me because some of those beeps and boops coming from the time machine are actually like some of the most stereotypical like beep boop machine noises. I don't know if you noticed that, and I think I honestly think it was semi like purposeful. Of course, in two thousand seven, those sounds maybe weren't looked at as like you know, classic cartoon, almost cartoon-like beeping. But I don't know. I just loved it. It was like, <laughs> it was kind of a funny thing to me. Um,
1: yeah. Uh, I think by then, they were probably solidified as this kind of quite cartoony type thing. I think some of the moments in the film, like where he's trying to line up to the inch how it was in the first time are deliberately played to comedic effect. And yeah. I do think they are quite yeah. funny. Um uh, I mean I hope it was intentional because it was quite funny at points like seeing him like rearranging like to the inch um little bits and pieces here and there um
0: oh yeah I think oh sorry keep going
1: I was but a, I was going to say but um I did think so so the the person he's this is going to go into a different point so I don't think he has something to say about the um about the comedic effect.
0: Yeah, in my opinion, that was 100% intentional because I thought it was funny too. Yeah, to the people who haven't seen it, I, I suppose we'll, we'll briefly explain that. There's a part when he remembers, so Hector 1 was the first timeline and then when he goes back in time, he's Hector 2. And then when he goes back the third time, he's Hector 3. So he, there was a time when Hector 1 was looking through his microscope at the man in bandages and the man in bandages is looking away from him and then he turns around with, he's doing like, like he's putting rings around his eyes with his fingers to scare Hector 1. Um, so Hector 2, he had to do that like four times, I think it was, before he could find where Hector 1 was. So it's just him turning around really quickly with, with, with like fingers around his eyes, like three times. And then the fourth time he, he, he sees Hector 1. It was, it was a good moment. Yeah,
1: for sure. That's
0: a good moment
1: yeah so one of the one of the char- characters in this i feel like it's a stretch to call her a character is the girl in the woods which she sees through the binoculars and um the 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 enticing incident which brings him into the woods is the fact she's undressing herself um and I just feel like the way it's played in the film is very two thousand and seven and it feels quite outdated in the terms of like we're just gonna watch this this woman just so the undress and it's supposed to be, like, enticing. And that's absolutely all there is to this character. Yeah. And we're just going to basically objectify her in quite a traditional, like, female horror, like, sense. Um I don't know. I thought I that let the movie down a little bit because where it is quite clever and playful and innovative and other things, this felt like, it wasn't like crazy problematic. It wasn't like terrible, but it just felt a little bit regressive.
0: Yeah, and I would agree. I I also just think there was no reason for it to be in the plot. Like, okay, so this also leads into another issue. It's, It's the kind of thing where the main character's dumb in that he... For some reason, he's trying to do everything exactly the way it was the first time. But he, I don't think he really knows why he's trying to do that. Like, you know, they don't explain... Like, they don't explain the sort of rules of the time travel in this movie. Where if it's not like how it was in the first timeline, then all it all gets messed up. That stuff is never explained. So this guy essentially is like, oh, I have to do everything exactly the way it was in the first timeline. Or else. But else is never explained. Like, there's no, there's not really any stakes. So because the girl was undressed in the first timeline, he essentially like assaults her with a pair of scissors and says, I'll, I'll kill you if you don't take off your shirt right now. And I, okay. And, and there was about at that point when that was about a little bit less than an hour through the movie. That was when I was like, okay, I, I can't really get behind this guy anymore. <laughs> you know what I mean? It definitely was a bit apparent. I, yeah, it, it definitely was kind of just like the, Oh, it's a, it's a horror movie. There needs to be a, a topless girl. You know, it was that kind of thing. Um, and granted, I will, I guess, give the filmmaker a little bit of credit. I they did not show her naked this in the second when they filmed the second timeline part. They did it in the first timeline, and then I believe in the second time they covered her with things. And I'm not saying that he's a noble, fantastic man, but I'm, as I was watching this, I was like, "Oh, are we just gonna get another boob shot for like no reason?" And we didn't actually. We didn't. So the so the content itself. It's still pretty abhor- abhorrent, but at the very least, they didn't just like do another meaningless just boob shot, which I don't know. Take it, to, to, yeah, take it with a grain of salt.
1: Yeah, and I also think to to move on slightly, the the kind of the kind of the film's ending, which I what I won't spoil the film's ending because I don't think we need to, like the the final ending. I don't think we need to fully spoil that, but it plays into the relationship between the original couple in the film. And basically, the whole time loop is about the, this guy trying to get his wife back, basically, um, more or less. And I just think that the ending doesn't hit because their relationship was never established to be something positive and meaningful.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I, I would I would agree with that. But I honestly do think if that weren't a plot point, like him trying to save his... like, he, So Hector 2 kills his wife on accident. He accidentally chucks her off the roof of their house. Don't ask. Don't ask how. <laughs> but yeah, so Hector 3 goes back in order to save his wife. Um, but then he, we find out when we watch Hector 3 doing the third timeline that Hector 3 actually tricked the naked topless girl in the woods, um, to essentially fall off the roof. So now I really don't like this guy because he, 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 he essentially sacrificed a, a girl he didn't know, um, just to sort of get out of the situation. But at the same time, like, what's his plan? Like the ne- like the next morning he'll have to call the police to get rid of the body. They're going to question him and it, it, like what's what's gonna happen like what's his plan here if i were him i'd just be like i'm probably better off dead honestly at this point <laughs> i don't because it's just such as it gets into to be such a sticky situation i don't even know really know what his motivation is to get out of it because even when he gets out of this sort of time loop even after he gets out of it like i said he's probably gonna the cops are probably gonna come after
1: him <laughs> um just uh, leave a lot of questions answered i would say that in, in terms of relating it to Scream in some kind of weird sense, mm-hmm. it does play with, like, the tropes in some ways. As we've, like, discussed, it's, like, comedic. Um, in terms of what we're saying, it's kind of reframing these, well, maybe not reframing, but reusing these kind of traditional horror archetypes. And um, I suppose there's a kind of tangential link there between, like, playing with the genre and mixing the genre as well with all the sci fi elements. I will talk about the, the 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 time machine itself is quite it's constructed quite nicely. I think this kind of weird um kind of pod which you like go into and you're covered in this like goop, this like liquid. I think that's quite fun. Um Yeah. I just yeah. thought that was fun.
0: I I'm really glad you brought that up. I I love the time machine it was because none of it was it looked all practical it was this big machine that moved and it was almost like a pod where the top came off and like you said there's a bunch of weird white liquid in there Um, and oh it was great I thought the time machine itself was was great and also going back to um, relating it to Scream it's funny this surprises me that you did hadn't seen this movie before because the very beginning is kind of similar to Scream in that somebody answers the phone and there's somebody weird on the other end of the line. And that's why I thought you picked it. <laughs> so that's like, I thought you, you, like I told you, I wanted to pick scream. And then you told me time comes like, Oh, he picked this because it like starts out with a weird phone call.
1: That would have been genius, Brad, but, but I'm sadly not that <laughs> clever, but that's like, you've just brought something quite interesting. up. Films which start with a weird phone call, double bill. Maybe that's what we should title this episode. Like, Get rid of Halloween. Get rid of horror movies. <laughs> Films which start with weird, unsettling phone calls.
0: Yes, make that the title. <laughs> That's our theme. People are like, what the hell is this? Like, what's going on? The first theme was travel. The second theme was Guillermo del Toro. And the third theme was weird phone calls.
1: <laughs> yeah, these, these pheasants have just, like, gone crazy. What, what, are, what are they being getting fed?
0: They already think the pheasants are going crazy again.
1: <laughs> all right nice but yeah have you got any any final remarks on time crimes before we move on to the the craven classic scream um
0: yeah i mean i'll i would recommend it to people who um like this if you like sci-fi if you like time travel if you just like movies that make you think and you're you know you could you could discuss this with your friends and it'll probably make for an interesting dinner discussion and then you probably won't think about it too much after that so I'll,
1: I'll leave it at that. Yeah, and also it's, it's nice and short and sweet. It's about 90 minutes, which is quite refreshing when everything in the cinema seems to be, as we've said, at least two hours long. Even the new, like, Exorcist film, which I have absolutely no interest in seeing, I think is about two hours long. Like, everything's just, like, getting longer and longer these days. So yeah. a nice yeah. 90 minutes in and out. It's a clean premise, it leaves some questions, but basically, basically everything's wrapped up. Um, yeah, it's 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 a refreshing kind of kind of watch in today's climate, even if some of it does ring very two thousand and seven.
0: <laughs> I would agree with that. I would definitely agree with that. All right, on to the next scream from is it ninety six? I probably should know this off the top of my head. Hmm, ninety six maybe. I'm Let not sure. See. Why are you looking? Scream. Uh, uh, yes, ninety six. All right. Now summarize it, Dan. Just
1: okay. Well, this I mean, I think a lot of people will know Scream, but I'm not gonna assume you know Scream. Yeah. So basically, Scream is a a meta horror. When I say meta, I mean. It is playing with the genre and commenting on it while also doing a version of it. Maybe that was the, not the, the the first thing I should have said, but that is the first thing I'm saying.
0: No, um, that's a good op- way to start.
1: It opens with this sequence, as Brad said. Um, teenage girl in a house answers the phone. Someone is on the other end of the line kind of asking her weird questions. Seems like a bit of a creepy guy. Turns out it's ghost-faced. It's the killer. Um, and within this very short sequence, which is about two and a half minutes, which is possibly one of the greatest movie openings ever, um, she dies, her boyfriend dies, and the film starts. Cut to um, literally maybe like a few days later or something. And we're with a different family, and we're with Sydney Prescott, um, who is our kind of guiding light throughout most of the franchise, not even just this film. Um, Who's played by Neve Campbell, I think? Is it Neve Campbell?
0: Yes, Neve Campbell, yep, Sydney Prescott. Prescott.
1: Um, So, yeah, so we got her, she goes back to high school with her mates. Some people are kind of spooked out by this um, killing. But the general reaction is in this kind of late 90s, ironic sense of, haha, isn't that funny? Um, We don't care about anything. F the world. Um, And they're all kind of joking about it at school. They're going, haha, wouldn't it be funny if you were the killer or if I were the killer? You would never know. And lo and behold, one of this small group of friends, or maybe more than one, is the killer. And basically, as the film goes on, we see um, the town go into more and more of a freak out over these killings. We get to a kind of curfew lockdown situation. There's a big house party and everything comes to throw after a few more killings. And we eventually find out who is Ghostface, who's behind the mask.
0: Yeah, Dan, I, I couldn't have said it better myself. That was a great foundation, but I couldn't agree more. Of course there's no visual component to this podcast but i was i was strongly nodding my head when when dan was talking about the opening i uh, the opening is honestly one of the reasons why i love this movie it, it's just so tight it's to me it's so scary i remember i think i watched the f- opening scene when i was pretty young maybe 12 or 13 and i remember being i remember being so freaked out and even now i think this is my third time seeing it and that line still like takes me aback there's I i think about it I think about not a not a lot, you know. It pops in my head when the conversation between the killer and this girl, and the the killer goes, um, "So what's your name?" And, and she goes, "Why do you want to know my name?" And he goes, "I want to know who I'm looking at." That it's just um. it's so good because the con because you think the conversation is going a certain way. It it has like, it has a very developed rhythm, and then he just comes out and says that, and and you're like as a viewer. Crazy. I, I like honestly it, it I, I love I think the pacing of of that phone call is perfect. Um and it, it, it creeps me out every time. I, I think it's great. And then the girl of course is like, What? What did you say? And he's like he's like, I'm just curious. I just wanted to know your name. And she's like, No, you said I wanted, to you know? And oh uh, boy. Drew Barrymore did a good job at that scene. I think they chose a good voice the killer because the killer has a very distinctive um like modified phone call voice Um, and yeah i mean where to begin with this one where to begin
1: yeah on on rewatch if we focus on the killer for a second on rewatch um it was very interesting to because i obviously knew who, who the killer was um it was interesting to see how they kind of foreshadow that and then put in a lot of clues and and watch. i'm thinking why did they not realize who the who it was it's kind of obvious it's not obvious is the thing when you first watch it you're like who could it be you really don't know yeah, yeah. but then once you know and then you go back and watch it like the best kind of murder mysteries because that's another genre this is playing with like absolutely mm-hmm. the kind of murder mm-hmm. mystery genre um, you kind of notice all the clues have been set out before you as the film progresses.
0: Yeah. That's such a great point. It is obvious at the end. It, 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 you're like, Oh yeah. You watch it the second time and, and you say to yourself, how did I not catch it the, the first time? But I don't know. It does a great job of, of sort of tempering who you think it is. I know that's like a normal thing that murder mysteries do, but I think this one specifically is because normally it's like, Normal Mortar Mysteries are like, okay, everybody seems normal, but when they act weird, that's when you're like, oh, maybe it was them. In this one, like, like most of the boys in this movie are just freaking weirdos, and yeah. the whole time you think it's one of them, it turns out to be two of them, Sydney's boyfriend and one of their friends, um, but throughout the whole movie, you're like, okay, it, it's it's got to be like one of them, so a lot of time you think it's the boyfriend, and then... Matthew Lillard's character, I think his name was Stu. Matthew Lillard, fantastic. Oh my god. He is, he is a psychopath. He plays such a good, just absolute crazy man. Matthew Lillard's one of my favorites. Um, and then also there's another friend who's also kind of creepy and weird sometimes, um, who actually turns out to be a, a, a real good guy. Did he die? I can't remember. Does he die at the end?
1: Randy i i i like randy the the like the the real movie nerd mm-hmm yeah yeah he doesn't die um he dies in the second one spoiler alert oh yeah um, but yeah um that 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 brings a good point though relating to randy <laughs> i know it's playing with like horror and commenting on the genre and it does that kind of I mean, this wasn't invented in the late 90s, but it came to the forefront then of kind of referencing a lot of movies in the movie. Um, Like, um, I think, like, Pulp Fiction does that. Like, a lot of films in the 90s kind of started to do that, even though this kind of trend goes back to something as early as, like, Breathless in the 60s or whatever. Um, But (laughs) on rewatch the sheer amount of film references in this kind of started to be a bit grating i was like nobody actually speaks like this nobody makes this many references in their life and also like not even just randy who's like clearly a, a film geek he works at the video store or whatever just random people in their group like um like the girl tatum or whatever she'll reference, like, a niche movie, like a niche horror movie from, like, the 80s. And I'm like, there's just no way. <laughs> there's just
0: no way. <laughs> Wait, like, so what are you referring to? Are you referring to how some t- how they're, like, um, how they're, like, don't run up the stairs. Have you seen the scary movies? You got to run out the front door. Are you, is, that, is that what you're talking about? Or, like, what references?
1: No, that, that kind of broad stroke stuff is fine. But they'll make, like in dialogue references to, like, Prom Night 2 and, like, Halloween 4, maybe maybe not Halloween 4, but, (laughs) like, you know, like, these kind of niche sequels, The House That Dreaded Sundown, like, these are films that people do not think about very often. (laughs) And they're just kind of casually saying it in everyday parlance. And, like, I don't know. On the second time, that jumped out to me a lot more, as slightly, um, incredible.
0: Yeah, I listen. I I t- I get your point, but honestly, it's one of the reasons why I really like this one. I think it's because like, I like hanging out with people who 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 care about movies that are dumb. Hmm. That's not why I hang out with you, Dan. You you're the you're just <laughs> a great guy, and all the movies you care about are awesome. No, but I just mean like. I don't know. There's something about just being like a total movie buff on like movies that most people just think are disposable trash. I think there's some value in that. I'm not quite there yet. I haven't seen all the sequels to everything. But listen, man, I do see your point. I do see your point. But it's also like I do not even get a lot of those references. I think it maybe bothered you because you have more knowledge than me. Like, because I remember I, I heard the prom night reference and i'm like i don't really know what that's from (laughs) and then i didn't think about it again
1: you know i see i haven't seen a lot of these films but i've just like heard about them discussed on like a podcast or whatever um but yeah i don't know maybe it didn't like bother me but it just like i suppose maybe, maybe there's a slight dissonance there because i know the film is not really fully going for reality per se but it is kind of trying to reflect some kind of social attitude in some ways. And I just felt the way it was expressing it at times was a little bit too kind of um, maybe cringy. I don't know. Maybe that's the wrong word.
0: Um. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I think I see what you're saying. Are you talking about how kind of like everybody, like the murder kind of becomes like a hero to these teenagers, to a lot of these teenagers. And like their mindset that like, oh wow, he's so cool, he keeps stabbing people. Is that what you're getting at?
1: It's not what I'm getting at, but that is also an interesting aspect to this film. Um in terms of I think one of the best scenes in the film is um when the principal brings in these two (laughs) these two pranksters into the office who've been running around the school um dressed up as Ghostface for the just for the just for the crack. And he um he expels them <laughs> in like this really passionate speech like why don't you kids take violence seriously? Uh, <laughs> I love that bit.
0: Yeah, that's hysterical. Henry Winkler plays the principal in this. Yeah and, and he's I think he also talks about yeah, like spilling their innards out, and he like holds a big pair of like, is it? she has like a pair of shears in his in his office. for some <laughs> yeah, reason, yeah, reason, yeah. reason That he's holding up to these teenagers. Yeah, that was hysterical. And um, there is another scene too. Honestly, probably my favorite in the movie, other than the other than the opening, is when they're in the video store, and um, it's it's an interaction between the three boys. So the so the main character, Sydney's boyfriend and then his friend, and then another one of their friends. And it's, um, a lot of people take that scene as being very, um, very like LGBT, sort of. And what I mean by that is there's a, here in the States, there's a cool chain of theaters called the Alamo Draft House, um Cinemas. They're spread out sort of, have you heard of these?
1: I've heard about them. Is that the one where you get served the food at the like seat?
0: Yeah, there's like waiter service. It's cool. But they also do cool events. Like, you know, it's very much like owned by, you know, big film geeks, big film fans. So anyways, at the one in Manhattan, I was looking to go into this. um, It's uh, they're sort of advertising their screen presentation as like an an LGBTQ thing. And they're saying like, yeah, this movie is like incredibly influenced. Like all these guys, all these guys are gay, obviously. And um, at, like, I didn't even notice that the first couple of viewings, but viewing it, I watched it again last night. And I'm like, oh, I totally see where you're coming from. Like those boys are like on top of each other for a lot of the movie. And I'm like, oh my God, I, I get like, I totally get it now. And I just thought that was really funny. And that scene in the in the Blockbuster video store, they're like hugging each other. And there's a part where like Matthew Lillard is like caressing the neck of his friend. And I'm like, okay, all right, this is pretty great. Actually, this is pretty great.
1: Hmm. I did. I didn't quite read it like that, but I. But I see it. Mm-hmm. Um. I'm. I'm all for a bit of queer representation. Um. What well, another. i uh, Just preface all this. I really like this film, but on the second watch, a few little things started to come up because I wasn't as shocked by all the reveals. Um. Another thing that kind of came up for me was the complete ineptitude and ridiculousness of Ghostface. <laughs> like, <laughs> he's very bad at killing. He's like he's he, he manages to pull off these extremely elaborate and impressive kills, such as another one of the best scenes, um where Tatum gets killed by getting a hurt um head squashed in the garage door that's pretty great he manages to pull off something like that but he can't corner someone literally half a meter in front of him in a van like it's it's like it does become i i suppose the point is it's kind of silly but it but it becomes kind of too
0: silly at points you know yeah well here's the thing i get what you're saying it leans into the silliness and that's something you can't exactly get behind a lot. To me, I just can. I, don't, I can't really explain why. I just can get behind it. Like, I just, I love this stuff. I really love this stuff. I think it's because it, it fully commits. And I think that's why it works for me. It's not like sometimes like a scene might have logic and other times it, don't, it doesn't. For the most part, mo- most of these sort of stringed phone calls and, and murders just don't make any like logical sense at all. And because of that, it works for me. You know, but, but also even, <laughs> yeah, some of those scenes where he's just like, he's, he's bombastically lunging with his knife and just like, there's no way his, his punch would have landed, even if the the girl didn't move, like scenes like that.
1: Yeah, I think maybe I'm, I think it's probably a me problem because I'm not coming at it as a comedy first. I'm coming at it as kind of this serious horror first with. The commentary behind it, whereas maybe I need to adjust my viewpoint when I'm watching it to kind of more gear it towards a mix between the two, then I can probably get on board more with the the as you say the silliness the kind of flailing about the lunging yeah Um, yeah and I suppose these are amateurs at the end of the day they are exposed to be amateurs at the end of the film so it does make sense in some narrative ways as well.
0: Oh, absolutely. Well, speaking of the end of the film, you can't tell me Matthew Lillard does not give one of the best performances of 1996 at the end of Scream, Dan. You can't, you, no one can prove anything different to me.
1: Matthew Lillard's the kind of shaggy looking guy, right?
0: Yes, Dan, you, 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 don't un- you won't understand me until you- I think uh, he can- plays
1: shaggy, right?
0: Yes, he plays shaggy and he is fantastic. He is fantastic as sh- Shaggy. But at the end of Scream, he's – the two killers are doing this horrible thing where they're, they're stabbing each other too, so that way the police can't frame them as the murderers. And oh, it, it's rough. And yeah. it, it's, oh, my God. It's so like demented and I love it. And Matthew Lillard like gets stabbed. He's like, oh, man, you got me too good, man. I don't – but he's so, he's so like maniacally he, – he, he seems positive about getting stabbed. And it's because he's just this psycho man. And I think his acting is just out of this world, perfect for this role. It honestly ties the movie up so nicely. The climax of the movie wouldn't wouldn't have been the same with any other actor, in my opinion. I think Matthew literally is just he's just great. He bodies this role.
1: Yeah. I think he's pretty good. I think he's definitely better than Billy as well, the other killer. Um I think sometimes Billy borders on I don't know what he borders on, but it's not it's not amazing. Um I mean he's good, he's good. He's just a solid good, but he never reaches like great heights. Um In relation to what we were talking about earlier with um Time Crimes, in terms of like the kind of to what extent is this a feminist film? Um I think Scream is very much the opposite of Time Crimes. Very progressive and very kind of um feminist in its politics and whatever, not just because it's centering a female protagonist because I mean you could do that with any film it doesn't make it pass on all regards yeah but basically the 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 two killers are basically raging misogynists and they get served their like, um, due punishment by the end of the film. And I think there's an interesting, twi- like, twisted, uncomfortable commentary about, um, Sydney's relationship with Billy the killer and her relationship to, to sex after what, one bit I didn't mention in the synopsis her mother has recently, um, been raped and killed, um, before the start of the film. And she's kind of dealing with this trauma um, as the film is kind of beginning. And obviously this new death comes into the town and kind of brings some of this back up for her. Um, And I think the way they talk about this is actually quite well handled, despite the fact a lot of the film is in this kind of silly tone. I think it handles this fairly well. Maybe not like incredible. I mean, I'm not like the best person to ask on this kind of stuff. (laughs) But I would say from my kind of relatively simple point of view, I thought it was it handled quite quite well.
0: Yeah, you bring up a good point. I honestly never viewed it that way, but it's definitely true. The evil the evil people in this movie are the misogynistic men. And in in a way that you're right, 100% differs from time crimes. They don't have an unnecessary, like undressing shot that honestly just serves no purpose. Um, it's very, it they refrain from that. And, you know, you could argue that that might be because they wanted to keep it PG-13, which could be entirely true. But um, you could also say that they didn't do that because they didn't want to... Like, they wanted to poke fun at the genre, but they didn't want... They don't want to do this, like, essentially the same things that they do um, at, at at the expense of being low, if that makes sense. You know, they, they didn't replicate, oh, the, there has to be a topless shot because it's a scary movie. They didn't do that because they because they respect the actors and they don't want, you know, they didn't feel like they needed it.
1: Yeah. I think they do do a kind of quite a Mm -hmm. funny commentary in direction to this because they cut between the movie playing on the TV, which is some kind of Jamie Lee Curtis film. And as Randy's watching this and between this film and um, Sydney and Billy in the bedroom, they cut back. I don't remember this, but they cut kind of back and forth between these two bits um, as this kind of commentary on the role of women in horror traditionally. And she does take her shirt off, but we don't really see any nudity. Um, It's kind of in process. And then we just see, like, the aftermath. Um, So, yeah, they don't kind of fall to any kind of gratuitous stuff, but they still also do manage to get it like, a little gag in there about the kind of traditional role and how they're subverting it.
0: Yeah, that's a great point. And I, I like that scene too, How they switch back and forth and they're almost narrating the, the trope that's happening right as, the, you know, as it's going. But I also have to stop you, Dan. That is not just any Jamie Lee Curtis movie on the TV. That's the first Halloween, Dan.
1: Is it? I I can't remember oh specifically what they're watching.
0: Um, I have Dan, seen Dan, I should have chose Halloween. But it's been a while. Okay, I think, uh, you know, maybe if we're still doing this podcast thing next year, I'll, I'll definitely choose Halloween. That's a fantastic one. You have to watch it again, Dan. You You lack appreciation for the finer arts. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs>
1: uh, but in terms of the kind of great Halloween films, which aren't titled Halloween, I think Scream is up there for me. Even though I just watched it for the first time like last year or so, I think this is kind of one of the, if if I was kind of coming around to Halloween season, this is something I would strongly consider putting on because it's definitely up there.
0: Yeah. And I'm glad you came to that conclusion because I 200% agree. One of the, one of the best Halloween movies, one of the best Halloween movies. And I, I would recommend anybody who um, is a fan of the horror genre Likes comedies, because even if you don't like scary movies, you could argue this movie is really only a scary movie for the first part, and then the next part is just funny. It has some tense parts um, that I think are scary, but honestly, a lot of people probably aren't going to find them scary. And I know because I've heard people talk about <laughs> these parts saying they're not scary. Yeah,
1: yeah. Maybe I'll not scary, that. but sometimes gory. Um, they do they do go in with, like, the blood and the guts sometimes. Um which isn't scary, but is perhaps um, shocking to viewers who aren't used to that kind of stuff.
0: Oh, for sure. For sure. All right, that's all I got about Scream.
1: Yeah, that's probably all, all, all I got about Scream. Scream was definitely better than Time Crimes. I feel like um, <laughs> I've... As, as the kind of in-house person attempting to pick less mainstream films... I'm doing a bad job of picking better films.
0: <laughs> well, oh, that, that's a good point. Let me, let me think back. So you pick Kronos and I pick Shape of Water. No, that's so not true. We both hated Shape of Water. Okay, well, I didn't, I didn't hate it. Okay. But it, well, we also,
1: neither of us loved Kronos either. Yeah, 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 yeah. We were both pretty lukewarm on both the Del Toros.
0: Yeah, we were totally... Loop. Well, I mean, I think I hated Shape of Water more than you. I just... It, it's the kind of thing where, like, I think back and I say, okay, if I were sat down right now to watch that movie, like, how would I feel? If you sat me down in front of Shape of Water right now, I would groan in agony. <laughs> I, I would hate to watch that movie again, you know? Kronos, maybe not so much. Um, Scream and, and and Time Crimes, I could manage just fine, but... That would be a pretty yeah, and good, and also, like...
1: Um what do you call it in America, like a, a slumber party, um, put a bit of Chronos on, uh, fall, fall, <laughs> Put a, scream in the middle, and then time crimes for the, for, the real, um,
0: for the real weirdos who stay up after midnight. It's true. Dan, you're that one awesome friend who shows up to the slumber party with your Kronos DVD, <laughs> and, and everybody says, oh my god. You are a boss. You brought your Kronos DVD. Thank you. I
1: could also bring my Time Crimes DVD, because that's how I watch this film.
0: Oh my god. Oh my god. Okay, you're intense with the DVDs. <laughs> Where is Time Crimes available on the internet, anybody would like to watch it? Oh, oh, honestly, so many places. It's free on Peacock. I believe it's free on Tubi and free on like Pluto TV or something. I don't know, but I... Yeah, today... I had never used Peacock before. Today, I downloaded the app, watched it for free. Couple ads at the beginning, that was it, and yeah, it was good. I'm, a, you know, I'm a, I'm a Peacock guy now. I guess so I don't know. I thought we were pheasants, not peacocks. Oh shoot, Dan, you're right. You're right.
1: I'm not sure if we have Peacock here, but you know, I'm a physical you, media man. guy at heart. So,
0: <laughs> and wait, also I we need to address as a double feature, Scream and Time Crimes works, I think. Yes, yeah. they're both short enough and interesting enough. They both have a weird phone call at the beginning, which was totally the reason why Dan chose Time Crimes. So, uh, yeah, I'd say there if you're into time travel and scary movies, I would say I would say it's a good double.
1: And as we say, they both kind of play with the genre a bit, which
0: is another added bonus. What did what we watch it? in week one? That was um, Travel Little Miss Sunshine and Itu uh, Mama. Actually, I think I picked the better film. Yeah, you did pick a better film. I mean, we liked a *Little Miss Sunshine* though.
1: That was on, that was a a *Little good Miss Sunshine* months, was great. So. We we had a good, we had a good month that month. Um, so maybe no. Maybe next next month I'll we'll pick it back up. I'll start picking better movies. Um, maybe something a bit less um, esoteric. I can't promise that, but yeah. <laughs>
0: Yeah, alright, so wh- why don't we share our, our theme for next month. Did you want to roll with, with what we had for um, was it late September we originally had? Yeah, I can't school? remember
1: we teased this in the last episode because that was genuinely recorded about two months ago. Um, yeah. But I think we might have. Um, I think um, our good friend um, Bradley Seltzer here um, suggested the idea of um film adaptations of books. So I think we'll go with that for the fall for the kind of November late November early December episode. I feel like yep, books yep. are quite like a cozy
0: thing as the leaves are turning brown, you know. I think I think it fits. Yeah, I'd say that, you know, curl up into a good book and then watch the movie. It, yeah, I'd say that's a good a good dreary November thing to do.
1: Yeah, and maybe I, I don't know if I teased an original pick, but I might change my pick from what it was um, in two months ago. Because I feel like on the bounce, I've done two horror films and I don't want to do a kind of horror-y film
0: um, again. Yeah, right. Sp- Variety is the spice of life. We wouldn't want to make these viewers sit through three horror movies. No. I mean, I know you love horror movies, Brad. Well, that's that's another thing. I'm kind of glad Time Crimes wasn't that scary because I'm a bit of a wimp. I'm watching horror movies alone. When I'm with people, I can watch most things, but that's why I'm, I had to watch Time Crimes alone. So I'm I'm kind of glad it wasn't terrifying. But so, yeah, I I did guess. Did great, Dan. All right, so book movies. It is
1: book movies next month, sometime. No schedule on this podcast. You will hear from us when you hear from us. All right. Thank you for
0: listening, everybody. See you next time.
1: Yeah.
0: Peace out. All right. Fantastic.